I, you know, I thought, like, where do you want to start? Where do you want to start with the establishment meltdown? Do you want to start with um, dishonest attacks? Do you want to start with the ludicrous attacks? Uh, do you want to start with just people, you know, becoming more and more unstable? I'm going to start with an old friend of mine, uh, Chris Matthews. Uh, let's take a look at what Chris Matthews thinks about the Bernie Sanders surge uh, in Iowa, New Hampshire, and elsewhere. You know Pennsylvania. You know that Youngstown, Ohio voter. You know that Scranton, Pennsylvania voter. Does Bernie relate to those voters in a way that, say, other Democrats in the field may not? You know, I don't think so, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think people are, uh, who are desperate to get rid of Trump will look at, well, reach for any uh, life raft thrown at them. Uh, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'll just say I don't know about that one. I think they'd respond to Biden with a good running mate. I think they uh, might go with some of the other candidates. My latest question is this one. It's sort of like the question pollsters ask. Um, who cares about people like you? And my question is a little more direct than that. Suppose you're lying on a road hurt. Maybe you've had a, something happen to you. You fainted. Whatever happened. Which of the candidates would stop their car and get out and help you? Which of them? Ask yourself that question, and you got your candidate, I think. Because I'm not sure about mm -hmm. all of them. I, I'm in polling this sort of, in, you know, I get, I think Biden wins that one pretty easily. I think Elizabeth maybe. I don't think Bernie wins it. Do you? Honestly? Think Bernie would stop yeah. and help you? I'm not sure. Well, I, I, I know these are tough questions. They cut to the gut, but they do. They are the question you got to ask about. Will this person help me when I need them? Because the rest yeah. is BS. It's all speech writing. Right. Okay, so I, I, I may, uh, I, I, I'll say, yeah, I think Bernie would help me. Uh, oh, but, you're covering yourself. Joe, Joe, you're covering yourself. I, 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 thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but I, but I do understand though that. So we, we've now, uh, we've now entered the part of the program where Chris Matthews, who makes, uh, I'm not positive, I think six million dollars a year, yet. He's in touch with Scranton, Pennsylvania, makes $6 million a year. He's in touch with, you know, the guys and gals who wear the hard hats in Scranton. They're going <laughs> to, the case against Bernie now on MSNBC is I don't think he would stop if my car broke down. Who's going to stop for me if my car broke down? Joe Biden, Mayor Pete, they're going to stop for me. Bernie, you know, I don't know. Is he going to stop for me? He's, he's only, you know, stopped on the side of the road for the Nissan workers, the Disney workers, the Amazon workers, the Walmart workers, to name a few. But I just, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to connect in Scranton. I just don't know if he's going to stop on the side of the road for me. <laughs> What's amazing, and, and, and Jen and I were texting about this earlier. It's a weird thing because in most professions, most professions, not all, you actually have to, you know, you don't fail up, right? You don't like get rewarded for being an idiot. You don't get rewarded for not having any knowledge in your area. You don't get rewarded for stupidity, um, you know, ineffectiveness. But in this particular industry, the, the corporate media, which as I told you yesterday, Corporate media is really just a super PAC for the oligarchy. That's what it is. In, corp in corporate media, when you make comments like that, 
um, you fail up. He's going to get probably more money next year from MSNBC. So, of course, that is fact-free. And, you know, I tweeted about it earlier, but you, it's amazing to me because there's two types of deception, okay? There's the deception that's intentional. There's the deception that's intentional from these corporate media people. And what that means is they know exactly what the polls say. They know exactly what Bernie Sanders' strengths and weaknesses are, but they don't accurately depict it. So that's the deception. The other kind is just really what permeates the media, and I think Jen has seen this on the road too. The other kind is just the complete stupidity of these people that get paid so much money. So let me break it down for Chris Matthews. Just the data, okay? Bernie Sanders in 2016 lost Iowa, lost, by less than a point, one-tenth of a point. Iowa's a pretty red state, okay? Bernie Sanders won Indiana, pretty red state, okay? Bernie Sanders won Oklahoma, pretty red state. Bernie Sanders won Montana. He won North Dakota. He won Idaho, okay? Bernie Sanders almost won Kentucky, lost by a point. Missouri, lost by a point. And he did win Kansas. So when all of these people... Oh, by the way, he won Michigan and Wisconsin, which right now are red states. So when all of these people say Bernie Sanders can't connect with moderates, uh, conservatives, or centrist voters, they're either knowingly lying, because all you have to do is Google it, like I did today, and see how many cent- you know, moderate to red states he actually won i actually think he won the iowa caucus so put that in your pipe and smoke it can he connect in scranton yeah he's connecting in all these other places bernie sanders is attractive to independence that's why he outperformed hillary clinton in 2016 in open primaries so either they're lying to their audience and they know all this but they say otherwise or even worse they get paid millions of dollars to, to know politics backwards and forwards, and they don't know this information. Both are terrible. You're either deceptively, intentionally lying, or you're a f-ing idiot. But, and, and I'm going to do a story on this, uh, I don't know when, because we're so busy, on just Bernie Sanders, the actual track record. In Vermont, time and time again, when he's won re-election, he has won moderate rural areas. In New York... He won every single county in New York State other than New York City. He won upstate New York, which is more red and rural. He tends to do very well in rural areas. So MSNBC doesn't know what they're talking about. As another explanation, here's Chuck Dodd, another multimillionaire who either is intentionally lying or just doesn't know anything. But the track record, you know, the half century of the modern Democratic Party presidential nominating process, the candidate who goes 2-0, and winning Iowa, winning New Hampshire, it's happened four times, and they're four for four at then winning the nomination. So take that for what it's worth, too. Steve, one thing about New Hampshire, it's an open primary. Those independent voters, the st- if there is a stop Bernie effort, it may begin with those New Hampshire independent voters anyway. It's going to be a wild February, I have a feeling. Yep, absolutely. Thank you, sir. 
just can't. I can't. I'm not even. I, I haven't drank any alcohol today, but I feel drunk. I can on this stupidity. Uh, so Chuck Todd, the moderator of Meet the Press. Bernie Sanders won New Hampshire by 22 points in 2016. The Stop Bernie movement is going to succeed in New Hampshire because of independent voters. He won New Hampshire by 22 points. This is what I'm talking about. Do these people, are they just sociopaths who knowingly lie for millions of dollars a year? Or do they just not know anything? I really, some of them I know it's the former. They're just lying. Some of them I'm not sure. What are you talking about? That, oh, independence, so, you know, it might not be good for him. He won open primary states. This is, I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's, this is Fox News level at this point. Sure, it's not as racist, but it's as propagandish. It's straight up lies. It, it, it just defies, it, it really, really defies logic. One of my favorites, and this is what I mean, like literally, it's not even every hour I have to check for new stories. It's every 10 minutes. This was one of my favorites today. Nick Confessori, a totally elitist, out-of-touch reporter for the New York Times, he says, there is no such thing as a democratic establishment. As evidence, I present to you Sam Stein and some other people, their story from the Daily Beast, and he puts a link into a story about how the democratic establishment is, basically doesn't know what to do to stop Bernie Sanders. The establishment here is an unknown number of semi-disorganized donors and operatives who think Sanders would be a bad nominee and are probably having a lot of worried phone calls but can't think of anything to do and also know that anything they try wouldn't work. Yes, that is, a me- that is, that is really, really strong mental, uh, you know, deductive reasoning. There is no such thing as the Democratic Party establishment because the Wall Street financiers the fossil f- big pharma, Silicon Valley, big real estate, and all of them, they just haven't figured out a way to stop this out-of-control Jewish socialist. That means there's no establishment. It, it, it's, it's, it's truly unbelievable. Then you have uh, the, old, the old establishment guard. Uh, you have... Do, do, do. Let's start with Dave Weigel, my friend. Actually, you know what? Before that, I want to explain to you why they're panicking. If you haven't seen the latest, if you haven't seen the latest, here we go. You got another New Hampshire poll uh, just out today. Bernie up, commanding lead. Uh, I'm terrible at math, but I believe that would be 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, That's 15 points. Bernie Sanders up in New Hampshire. ARG poll. Even worse for Joe Biden and the rest of the corporate establishment. In this poll, Bernie, as usual, in a commanding lead among young people, uh, but he's also winning 45 and older. Generally, he's not winning among the older group, uh, even though a lot of our viewers and a lot of progressives are over uh, are older nationwide. Most older people traditionally have been more corporate Democrat establishment voters. Well, in New Hampshire, at least that's turning around. But don't listen to me. Don't listen to the numbers. Listen to Chuck Todd tell you, well, Bernie's going to have trouble in New Hampshire where he won by 22 points last time. 
they're freaking out. Bernie commanding lead in New Hampshire. This is like the fourth New Hampshire poll that he has a big lead. California just came out with a new poll from Berkeley. You got Bernie up by six over Warren. Biden, the most electable, uh, is down at 15. That's UC Berkeley. Uh, Bernie leading Warren by six and Biden by nine, uh, 11. And Mayor CIA all the way down there. And, uh, you know, billionaire Mike at 6%. So then you have, uh, and that Bernie is commanding lead in California, probably why his campaign is now going out with a $2.5 million ad campaign in California, as well as Texas, the first, the first advertising uh, the campaign has done uh, in the Super Tuesday states. So then you look at Super Tuesday. This is from Morning Consult. This is an average of all the Super, uh, su- all the Super Tuesday uh, states. Biden up by four over Bernie. That is probably right. It's either in the margin of error or one point outside of the margin of error. That is a day. If you're Bernie Sanders and you're only four points down on average in 12 states that uh, vote, I believe, March 1st or 2nd, whew, that's very, very good. Then you have Morning Consult's national poll. This continues a trend of other national polls we're seeing where Biden's lead over Bernie is shrinking. Biden 29 Bernie 23, Warren continues her slide uh, down at 14, uh, Bloomberg over Mayor, Mayor CIA there at 12%, and Quinnipiac, to me, of all the national polls I looked at today, this one stands out the most to me because Quinnipiac has been the most unforgiving to Bernie Sanders. Quinnipiac tends to oversample older voters and undersample younger voters, and that's why you've seen Bernie perform the worst in these polls. I will be honest with you, I haven't had time to actually dig into this poll in particular, but the fact that Bernie's down just five nationally in Quinnipiac, which again has not has been one of his poorer performing polls, is a very good sign. Then you look at Joe Biden. Very worried. The good news, Jordan. This is an email he's sending out to people. The latest poll from CBS News shows the race in Iowa virtually tied, with Senator Bernie Sanders leading us by one point. That's within the margin of error. You got to love that the campaign finds like one Iowa poll when there's four others showing him nowhere near first. But I digress. The bad news, with just six days to go, Bernie's campaign is prepared to outspend us in a big way. Last quarter, they outraised us by a lot. Of course, this is dishonest because as Bernie Sanders campaign emailed out supporters, this morning, we learned that an, that an outside spending group placed $700,000 worth of negative ads in Iowa attacking Bernie. We also learned that Biden's super PAC has placed more than a million dollars worth of ads in Iowa this week alone. So Joe Biden is sending out these desperate emails saying, we need money. Bernie's outspending us. But he's got, uh, he's got one group dropping $700,000 for him in Iowa this week. And he's got a super PAC, you know, middle class Joe dropping over a million dollars. So if anything, Bernie Sanders campaign is being outspent. And now we're seeing that third way that Wall Street funded group of vultures is now uh, will be distributing a memo to Iowa Democrats highlighting the potential liabilities Sanders could face against Trump that haven't really been discussed that's just who I want to hear about uh, for, in terms of electoral victory. Uh, the folks that totally love not paying taxes, the folks that totally love deregulation, the folks that have massive amounts of investments in fossil fuel companies, uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies. That's who I want to get a memo from 
on Bernie Sanders' weaknesses. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it's too ridiculous to even take seriously. But really what you have here is an establishment meltdown. Uh, you also have Biden scare, you know, trying to scare the living hell out of people. Uh, this is Biden telling people, former Vice President Joe Biden, without naming him uh, on the multi-trillion do- uh, jab Bernie Sanders, without naming him on the multi-trillion dollar cost of his most ambitious proposals, such as single-payer health care, tuition-free college, and sweeping climate action. Quote, I don't think you win votes doing that, Biden said Monday in Cedar Falls. I think it scares the living he- devil out of people. Well, that's a Freudian slip because that is Joe Biden's campaign strategy. Then that is third ways campaign strategy. That is the corporate media's campaign strategy. You know, you got everybody from the New Yorkers, Jonathan Chait, sending out, you know, you know, red alarm, (laughs) blinking red lights, warning, warning. It's to scare the living hell out of people. It's also when Joe Biden says, I don't think that, um, I don't think that gets votes. Well, the polls just don't agree with you since the polls are very popular for Medicare for all, uh, are very popular for a Green New Deal, are very popular for all these things that you say are a liability. So again, this goes into the bucket. You either have a bucket as ter- in terms of people intentionally lying. They know that what they are claiming is not popular is popular or the other bucket of just wildly out of touch idiots who don't know anything. In my view, there's more people lying than wildly out-of-touch idiots. However, let's get to the wildly out-of-touch idiots. We have two, 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 two. Oh, and you have um, uh, Mayor Pete was lobbing some bombs too. Here's uh, Dave Weigel of the Washington Post. The thing about 2016 is that Clinton was about to win, but the FBI launched a probe into Uma Abedin's laptop because Anthony Weiner could not stop sexting young girls. Easier to just pretend this didn't happen than to apply it to electoral analysis. So to tell you the truth of all the establishment gas bags, Dave Weigel is not high on my list. I think sometimes he, he writes decent stories, but this is just not in line with facts at all. These people that keep saying Hillary Clinton was going to win, it's that Comey stopped her. And I don't want to I don't want to say that Comey had no effect. I mean, when the FBI, when the FBI director says, like, you know, we're still investigating you a week before, that's not a good thing. But the problem is Dave Weigel, who makes a lot more money than I do. What's amazing to me is there's no facts that support this. There's, you know, there's no facts that the uh, support that the reason Hillary Clinton lost Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania or Ohio is because of James Comey. If Dave Weigel or any of these people actually read the exit polls in those states, which I have multiple times, uh, they would see that the top issue in the Rust Belt was not James Comey. It was not Russia. Uh, It was not even the Clinton Foundation or any of that stuff. It was Trade. Trade was the number one issue followed by immigration. So let me hear. You got Hillary Clinton pushing TPP, pretending she wasn't for TPP, but everybody knew she was for TPP. You have uh, Bill Clinton, obviously, the Democratic Party pushed NAFTA, which decimated these communities in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and other states. Uh, You have essentially Donald Trump. He's a phony, but at least he's been consistent on one thing that's being against these trade deals. What do you think? 
is most important to these people whose plants are closed down, whose, whose storefront after storefront in these Rust Belt communities, many of you know what I'm talking about, are, are boarded up and closed down. I've seen them. I've gone through these parts of the countries multiple times. So, again, this falls into the bucket. Dave Weigel, to me, some people might disagree, doesn't appear to me as somebody who's just intentionally lying. So this falls into that bucket of just people who make way more than they should and don't know anything. The out-of-touchness of most corporate reporters. And then you have people who he responded, uh, this guy from another outlet, because I wrote back to Dave, there's no facts that support that. And he said, setting aside all the postmortems that have reached precisely that conclusion, polling at the time showed half of undecided less likely to vote for her after. Like, maybe they didn't vote for her after because she didn't go to their state in Wisconsin. <laughs> she pulled her volunteers out of Michigan. They didn't even go on radio in black communities until a week before the election. I mean, this is not rocket science. But these people live in d- delusion. Then you have Dave Weigel defending Jonathan Chait, who wrote a fact-free piece for The New Yorker. And Jonathan Chait, by the way, if you don't know, this is from uh, John Graziano on Twitter, uh, the same Jonathan Chait who swore that Iraq had weapons of mass uh, destruction and swore that Trump would never win Michigan. These people are the ones we should listen to about Bernie's electoral uh, success chances. So he shows that Everyone will dunk on Jonathan Chait for this Bernie is a risky nominee piece, but he is right about this. The progressives who tried to prove that they could flip red seats in 2018 got rinsed, and they point to numbers from the midterm elections. So that is particularly what I want to get into right now. I tweeted about this, but I also want to explain to you why these folks are in bad faith. This argument is in bad faith, and and this falls into the bucket of political um, – Uh, political journalists who do know better and just lie otherwise. The midterm elections, using the midterm elections as a measuring stick for the presidential election based on his history and data is literally the definition of apples to oranges. So every one of these people like Jonathan Chait pointing out um, that, you know, more progressive candidates didn't win in certain districts uh, around the country, really, it has no bearing on a presidential election for many, many different reasons. Number one reason is it it is not even comparable, the voter turnout in a presidential election compared to a midterm election, particularly the fact that you get, I don't have the exact number, but a, a significant more number of younger people that come out in a presidential election. Secondly, presidential election voters versus midterm elections, there is a whole additional bracket of demographic groups that come out. You have a whole lot more people in presidential elections coming out that are new voters that don't tend to vote in a midterm election, might not even know when their midterm elections are. Um, You have a whole lot more black people that come out, brown people. You have a whole lot more um, um, uh, millennials that come out, like I just said. So when they're talking about the midterms, this is what succeeded for the Democrats. For So that means Bernie wouldn't win. It just doesn't make sense. It also is based on the candidate, right? Bernie has, has performed well in rural districts, 
in conservative districts. There is data that supports this in Vermont. And he performed well in rural and conservative and moderate districts in 2016. If you, if you missed earlier, I went through the list. He won Oklahoma. He won Idaho. He won Montana. He won North Dakota. He won uh, Indiana. <laughs> he came very close to winning. Uh, oh, he won Kansas. He won uh, almost won Missouri and Kentucky. So it's just, again, it's just intellectually dishonest. Secondly, when it comes to a midterm election versus a, you know, a presidential election, midterm election, you're talking about winning a district. The presidential elections, you're talking about winning a state. Those are two radically different things for demographics, voter turnout, the whole nine. So a perfect example would be the state of Florida, for example. You know, Tim Canova, for example, uh, has had a difficult time beating Debbie Wasserman Schultz. He ran against her two times. Yes, there were shenanigans that went on, but let's just use it as an example, right? So a progressive had a more difficult time winning in a older, uh, affluent district, which is Debbie Wasserman Schultz's district. You with me? Okay. So statewide, though, Andrew Gillum, when he won the actual primary to run for governor of the state of Florida, running on Medicare for all and other bold progressive proposals. So a progressive candidate had difficulty in a district, you with me? Uh, like Debbie Wasserman Schultz's district, but statewide, Andrew Gillum won the primary by running on Medicare for all. He lost, not by a lot actually, the governor's race in the general election. Why? He sprinted to the center because most of these progressive candidates listen to the Wall Street Democratic Party lifer consultants telling them, no, no, it's fine. You ran in the primary. Now you got to move to the center. He, he sprinted away from Medicare for all. He started doing photo ops with Debbie Wasserman Schultz, a hated figure among progressives. He started doing fundraisers with Hillary Clinton, another not so loved figure, and he lost. So this is how politic, this is the difference between competing in districts and competing statewide. If Andrew Gillum would have won, excuse me, ran on the very policies that helped him become the nominee. By the way, Florida particularly has a lot of universities. Florida is like California. It's very, very large. There's a lot of young people that vote uh, eligible to vote in the state of Florida. He probably would have become the governor, but he sprinted away from it and he lost. So this is this is the point. They knowingly make these apples and oranges comparisons. Jonathan Chait, again, told us there was weapons of mass destructions. Again, told us Trump will never be the nominee. Trump will never win Michigan. And, you know, we shouldn't only go after these people who write the story. I don't mean go after. I, I, don't, I don't mean physically. I mean, we shouldn't only verbally call out these people. Um, we should call out their editors because their editors let them write this drivel. That is totally fact-free, and they, they get away with it. So Jonathan Chait, uh, let me find it, writes a big piece for The New Yorker, and his central thesis, uh, and this is how manufacturing consent works, so I'm ex going to explain how manufacturing consent works, borrowing from my the legendary Noam Chomsky. Uh, here was his central thesis, Jonathan Chait. Sanders has gleefully discarded the party's conventional wisdom that it is to that is 
that it has to pick and choose where to push public opinion leftward, adopting a comprehensive left-wing agenda, some of which is popular and some of which is decidedly not. Positions in the latter category, including replacing all private health insurance with a government plan, banning fracking, letting prisoners vote, decriminalizing the border, giving free health care to undocumented immigrants, and eliminating, eliminating ICE. I am only listing Sanders' positions that are, that are intensely unpopular. I am not including positions like national rent control and phasing out all nuclear energy that I consider ill-advised. So this is, why I point, this is why I bring the editors into this, and the editors, because their name is not under the story, they generally escape scrutiny. But it is an editor's job to make sure what's being put in a story is factual. Literally, what Jonathan Chait did here, and that this is what manufacturing consent is about, is he literally just borrowed from negative polling language. So how you, how you phrase things in polls tends to determine the results you're going to get. So he, he, he took a phrasing that has tended to uh, produce less support for Medicare for all, uh, in this case, replacing all private health insurance with a government plan. When it's phrased like that, support for Medicare for all tends to be lower. When it's when it's uh, phrased in terms like expanding uh, health care, redu- eliminating copays, deductibles, blah blah blah, it's wildly popular. So all he did there was just take the phrasing that tends to produce lower numbers and call Medicare for all wildly unpopular. This is the job of a good ethical editor to then go look through the polls that show some polls, Medicare for all popular among 70% of Americans, 80% of Democrats, 50% of Republicans. Medicare for all, the preponderance of polls have shown 50 to 70% support for the last year and a half. So he's lying there. Then he goes through a laundry list of policies saying that they're wildly unpopular. Some of them are. He's right about that. Some of them are. But these policies, if you look through poll after poll after poll, are not the priorities of the American people. Most of these policies that he's listing are wildly unpopular that make Bernie Sanders risky are not high on the list of things people care about. If you look poll after poll after poll shows you got uh, Medicare for all and healthcare polling incredibly high of people prioritizing. You have climate change polling very high. The economy, education, not ICE, not banning fracking, which, by the way, does not poll so poorly. I don't know what he's talking about. So, again, this is what they do to lie and manufacture consent. And pieces like that are then just passed around like a doobie on Twitter by the David Weigels of the world, by all the rest of the corporate media. And then CNN, The New York Times, uh, and these other outlets – Uh, particularly cable news outlets, pick up these tweets, these narratives, and then they push them 24-7. And then the actual people that Bernie uh, progressives are trying to reach to actually give them the right information, they are exposed to this misinformation all day long. That's manufacturing consent in a nutshell. All of this, all of this that I'm showing you brings us to what I think is really the next act in the establishment meltdown. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Morning Joe. Uh, What's so fascinating about the fact that Biden and Bernie are both on the right, Steve Ratner is, that looking through the lens of the Bloomberg campaign, 
you have with these two gentlemen, uh, whoever whoever wins, you have two completely uh, different results uh, with I think pretty significant a pretty significant impact for Michael Bloomberg's viability moving forward. If Joe Biden wins, it's obviously bad news for Michael Bloomberg uh, because Biden will, certainly that win will carry him through to South Carolina and most likely into Super Tuesday. A Bernie Sanders win though in Iowa, even by a point, uh, justifies uh, in Michael Bloomberg's mind and in the people that would support Michael Bloomberg exactly what he's doing right now. So uh, Iowa, it's interesting, I, Iowa could have a significant impact, not just on the candidates who win, but the candidate with billions of dollars who is standing on the sidelines right now. Oh, there's no question about that, Joe. I agree with that completely. And I, and I think uh, to a different degree, depending a little bit on what happens in Iowa, the same could be said about New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. But certainly in Iowa, the two things that you mentioned, uh, I'll highlight, are, are true. One. The more that Bernie Sanders rises, the more, and I see this very much now happening already among my activist Democratic friends, the more people are getting scared about a Bernie Sanders candidacy for two reasons. First, because they think he'll lose, and second, they think if he wins, he'll implement the kinds of policies uh, that I outlined a few minutes ago, which are, are so far away from the center of the Democratic Party. So there's a lot of activity around trying to, quote, stop Bernie, although it isn't called by that just yet. And that's uh, and, and Mike Bloomberg can well play a role in that as an alternative to, Ber uh, to Bernie Sanders. But as you also point out, for that to happen, Biden has to, in effect, not do as well as people expect, whether it's second, third or fourth. Biden has to has to weaken in the course of these first four early primaries. If Biden wins uh, Iowa and then New Hampshire, let's say, and he's obviously strong in Nevada, strong in South Carolina, it may well be game over. If he does poorly in Iowa, and I think as, as John Heilman indicated, you have to look at these polls as so far within the margin of error as really to be a four-way tie. Maybe there's a little bit of momentum here and there. But Iowa is very unpredictable, and I think among those four, almost anything can happen. And if something, uh, something on the lower side, third, fourth, happens for Biden, th that raises Mike Bloomberg as the possible alternative to Bernie Sanders, and that's exactly the calculus. Well, we, we should actually note here uh, that, that uh, Steve Ratner is, is Michael Bloomberg's money man. Uh, and despite that fact, <laughs> and despite the fact that Willie and I are friends with him, we have tried to get some of that Not money Willie and I have for years now. <laughs> hasn't given us a nickel, uh, we're, but that doesn't mean we're not going to keep trying. First of all, when Joe Scarborough says, oh, by the way, like at the end, like maybe you should disclose this up front. When he says, oh, you know, just so you know, this is Michael Bloomberg's money man. Let me be a little bit more specific what that means. Um, Steve Ratner is the chairman and CEO of Willett Advisors, which invests former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg's personal and philanthropic assets. So I don't know. I didn't go to journalism school. I took two classes. But maybe, maybe the private equity manager for Michael Bloomberg's money should not be on national television in the morning telling us uh, Bernie Sanders' chances of winning the presidency? Is that just a thought? Just a thought? The person, you know, that, that it would be like, um, I don't know. 
I don't even know what the analogy would be. It would be like me, the CEO of Status Quo, ha- being at a um, event for investors and talking about upcoming like really good buys. You should really invest in these stocks or these companies and pushing that, uh, oh, you should really invest in Status Quo. And then like underneath my breath being like, yeah, you know, I just I happen to I happen to work there. It's it's astounding that they have this guy on. By the way, uh, Google it. Steve Ratner and uh, I think it was the SEC fined him. He got a big, big fine from some shady business. But I digress. What's amazing about this? I don't know what part I love about this more. Uh, Michael Bloomberg's money man on national television explaining why Bernie Sanders can't win or when he said my, my my democratic activist friends like like his friends are like activists at Standing Rock or, or Ferguson or, or Black Lives Matter his democratic activist friends let me explain who his friends are that are democratic activists third way the Wall Street funded vulture organization hedge funders Wall Street bankers, big pharmaceutical executives, fossil f- Silicon Valley. That is who Steve Ratner's friends are. He has supported every single Democratic, corporate Democratic candidate since the dawn of time. So that's what he means when he says my Democrat activist friends. I think the Bloomberg thing is real here, and I'll tell you why. Because I think, I think... Um, I think Joe Biden's in real trouble. I really do. And the reason I say that isn't because of data. The reason I say, well, the data is showing he's in trouble too. Uh, the reason I say that is, is because of things like this. I'm going to support you if you win the nomination because we got to get rid of Trump. But what are we going to do about climate change? Now, I, you, say, you say you're against pipelines, but then you want to replace these gas lines. That's not going to work. We, no, no, no. we, we got to stop building and replacing pipelines. Yeah. We've got to go vote for somebody else. All right. Thanks so much, have sir. You guys, we're going to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to vote you in the general if you treat yeah, me right. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, can I have a picture? Look, you're asking a picture of me. Coming up and tell me you don't support me. No, no, no. My plan. Yeah, you did. You said you I said I will support you in the general. In the general. I'm looking for a primary. We're happy to get a member. That's what I'm let's let's get to a few things here let's get to a few things first of all why does joe biden feel that he has to touch everyone like, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny here, but he, he he just is like touching this guy's jacket, his shirt. He's very, very up in his grill. It's just very, very weird. It's very, very strange. I mean, we all have seen, you know, his issues with personal space with, with young children. But, you know, part of politics, a lot of a big part of politics is, is not just your policies, but it's it's the visuals. It's optically, what does this look like? And Joe Biden's campaign really does look like it's like a record from 1980. And that's not going to win in this new, uh, sorry to borrow from my, my friends, um, it's it's not going to win in this new woke age where young people are, are wising up, 
where a lot of older voters are starting to wisen up to them being screwed. And Joe Biden also, it doesn't seem that he understands you have to actually convince people to vote for you. Whenever people question him on the campaign trail and grill his record, there is a entitlement in his response. Go vote for Trump then. Yeah, go vote for somebody else. This is not and I, 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 I can only imagine what his advisors, his campaign manager, his donors, what they are, their, their facial expressions when they see this. This is not how you convince people to vote for you. And I think he thinks, and it's a very Hillary Clinton mindset, it's my turn. I earned this. I put in the time. I've been in there. I've been in the swamp for 40 years. Who are these coming up to me and questioning me? So, I mean, I've already gone through all the polls, but I mean, right now, real clear politics, the average in Iowa, Bernie is in the lead in the average in Iowa. Right now in New Hampshire, Bernie is in the lead in the average of the polls. But putting aside the polls, a lot of politics comes down to not just uh, polling, but it comes down to are people inspired by you? A lot of people were inspired by Donald Trump's bullshit. A lot of people were not spot inspired by Hillary Clinton's like stronger together, you know, love beats Trump's hate, you know. So I just think particularly in Iowa, which involves people coming out, not just to vote, but to like be there for two, three hours. I really don't think Joe Biden's going to I think is going to possibly come in third or fourth. What's incredible about this and by the way, this is free advice. I don't work with the Bernie Sanders campaign, but free advice if anybody's watching. You know what really strikes me about Joe Biden? And it's very easy to do an ad like this. We are America. We could do, we are the United States of America. We, there ain't a damn good thing we could do, we can't do uh, if we want to. But we can't get to, you know, zero emissions by 2030. But we can't do universal health care. But we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. I mean, the contradiction of Joe Biden, the, the, the contradiction, the, the lie of the Biden campaign is we're going to restore the soul of the nation. There's not a damn thing we could do, we can't do without each other, yet all you do is say what we can't do. There are many scientists on the record supporting Bernie Sanders saying, oh yeah, we could get to zero emissions by 2030. There's plenty of healthcare experts that say, yeah, slam dunk, we could have Medicare for all, and, and it could be cheaper than Joe Biden's you know, vision of healthcare and, and Mayor Pete's vision of healthcare, which is not actually healthcare. It's just bending over for big pharma and big, and, and big health insurance industries. Joe Biden, why I think that Mike Bloomberg, what the Democratic Party is starting to plan, is for Michael Bloomberg to be like, you know, the, the, the billionaire, Paul, the billionaires, Paul Revere, you know, uh, for, for Mike, Michael Bloomberg to be like, you know, the establishment's Batman. Uh, I, I can't wait for the graphics we're going to put together. Uh, Colin, if you're watching, we definitely need uh, Michael Bloomberg as Batman, Superman with just dollars all over him. It would be wonderful. So, and, and I can't blame them because I, I, Joe Biden is just, he's, he's a terrible politician. Maybe he used to be a good politician, but he's not a good politician now. And I think that 
as a result of Joe Biden being a bad politician, you collectively have the corporate media who forever, all they do is hype up how important Iowa is. They see that Joe Biden is such damaged goods that now they're now you see pieces from the Washington Post. Iowa's looking less and less like that, that clarifying moment Democrats had hoped for. So they're playing down the importance of the Iowa caucus now. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You just can't. Um, also, another reason that it's looking like Bloomberg might be the establishment's you know, final hope is because Joe Biden's campaign is basically waving the white flag in New Hampshire. This is from Politico. Why Biden scaled back in New Hampshire? I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but Joe Biden has said he doesn't need to win the first presidential primary state in the nation, and he's campaign, campaigning like it. Biden has been dark on New Hampshire television since the new year. He is a smaller presence on the ground compared with his rivals, barely takes questions from voters, and he's trailing in the polls here. Biden's New Hampshire media buys, events, and overall footprint indicate it's the early state that's getting relatively short shrifts so he can more effectively con- contest the other three states with nominating contests before Super Tuesday. So the thing about this is there's, been, there's never been uh, in, in a Democratic Party, there's never been somebody who lost Iowa and New Hampshire. There's never been somebody, excuse me, that's not true. Uh, Bill Clinton lost Iowa and New Hampshire and still became the nominee. So check me on that. It is it is very rare. It is very rare for somebody to become the Democratic nominee and lose if they lost Iowa and New Hampshire. The reason I think it would be nearly impossible in this case for Joe Biden if he lost Iowa and New Hampshire is because Nevada is before South Carolina. So not in uh, many years, South Carolina came before Nevada. If Joe Biden loses Iowa and New, and New Hampshire, I mean, Bernie Sanders, and, and, and if he loses and Bernie Sanders wins both of those states, which right now, if those primaries were held today, according to the polls, Bernie Sanders would win uh, Iowa and New Hampshire. I don't think his volunteers should treat it that way. I don't think his campaign should treat it that way. I think they should mentally think they're 10 points down. You got to be hungry it's like if you're winning in sports, you can't feel like you have already won it because then you underestimate the competition. You have to act like you're still down and be just as desperate. But if Bernie Sanders wins Iowa and New Hampshire, Bernie's already doing spectacularly well among Latinos. Nevada has a humongous Latino population. Uh, Bernie, if he wins Iowa and New Hampshire, he's going to have more momentum than we've ever seen in progressive politics heading into Nevada. If, and Joe Biden is not going to have momentum unless he comes in a very close second in both. If Bernie Sanders wins Iowa, New Hampshire, and then Nevada, there is no way in hell Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. 